This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome to the latest minutes of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll continue to look at Israel at war into Gaza and taking some incoming from uh, the north, Hezbollah, and wondering if there's going to be elements in Syria to get involved too. I get the sense they're ready for all of it. They're basically handing out guns and helmets to anyone in the Gaza area in and around the border. Imagine through the whole population, since everyone's got to serve two years in the military, and now they've got 300,000 active. They've called up 300,000 more. So in a country between 8 and 9 million, they're going to be going at it with 600,000. And uh, this is going to get rough, and there's no doubt about it. Uh, They want the fight in Gaza. Uh, Hamas said, I'm going to blow open that wall. I'm going to kill 1,000 people, hopefully more in their minds, sick minds. And then I'm going to grab some of them and make sure you show up to try to get them back. As Dave Ignatius writes today that being that the attack was a surprise, don't be surprised when there are uh, all types of challenges in Gaza, which they say in terms of war fighting is going to be harder than the U.S. had in Fallujah. And with me right now to discuss is Ambassador Nikki Haley running for the Republican nomination and to be the next president of the United States in 2024. Ambassador, good to see you. Thank you. You just met with the ambassador, the the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations. Bit of a reunion. Oh, we have a bond. You know, I mean, I think that so much of what I did at the U.N. was dealing with Iran, dealing with Israel, dealing with the Palestinians and and the games that they would play. And so to see what's happened is really horrific because this was something that not only was it a surprise, not only was it murder, it was torture. And that's something you don't forget. And I hope that Americans realize that how they feel right now, mm-hmm. when you start to hear that Palestinians have died, go back to how you feel right now. Because when I was at the United Nations, I went to Ramallah. I went to Ida refugee camp to really understand what the Palestinians needs were. And Brian, what I saw was all over the walls was graffiti saying kill the Jews in their schools. They do that. Their textbooks are simplified, basically say, if you have five Jews and you kill four Jews, how many Jews are left? That's how they taught their kids. And they put these tunnels and I've been in the tunnels where the equipment, the ammunition, everything they do to kill people is in these tunnels, and they put them under schools and under hospitals because they know Israelis value life. So would you, would you saw those walls in Gaza? Did I you did. See, does it blow you away that they blew them away, the 19 separate breach points, that these towers weren't able to pick it up? There's agriculture on the farms on the other side, so a long, visibi- long visibility, and they come through with bulldozers, paragliders? I've does been this, to those kibbutz. Does this stun you? No, I've been to those kibbutz, and I think about those families that were there and the fact that you know, you're sitting out there in the farmland, and this happens. This was very orchestrated. This was very planned, and the only one that can really do this is a 
Iran. And that's what we have to remember. We can talk about Hamas all day long, but this is Iran at work. And this is Iran at work with Hamas. This is Iran at work with Hezbollah that we're seeing them start to do it. It's Iran at work with the Houthis. You know, we've got to watch Yemen, too. All of these things, this is Iran orchestrated. Well, Iran actually said it. If you attack us, we're going to hit you from Yemen. We're going to hit you from uh, Lebanon. We're going to hit you from Gaza. And we'll be able to, we know they're going to hit from Syria because that's where they're located now, basically preserved Assad along with Russia. So that's what the plan is all along. So I want to bring you to this. So the, the immediate reaction was Hamas wants this fight in Gaza. Tactically, militarily, you wonder, they blow open the wall, they grab hostages and want to make sure that Israel comes into Gaza. Some say, wait a second, maybe their goal is to grab Israel into a quagmire where you're really, you're really pinned down there. Is that a legitimate fear? And worry. Well, they don't value life, and they know Israel does. So when they take a hostage, whether it's an American hostage or an Israeli hostage, they know that we'll do anything to protect those lives. Right. So go back to 2011, and Israel, I think, released like a 1,000 Palestinian prisoners for one Israeli. And they know that. So what they're hoping is they can get any other fighters that they have that are in um, being held and they can use that as leverage because they know what they see as our weak spot, which I think is our strength, is that we do value life. That's where this is going to get complicated is because we're still trying to save those hostages. We're still trying to get them out alive. Right. And they're going to use that. But, yeah, this is going to get complicated. So what changes? So you go in, you exact uh, the, the leader's brother died, and soon they're going to start taking out one by one the uh, Hamas upper echelon, we hope, and the ones that don't escape. To see them celebrating in Qatar was unbelievable with the it's Qatar disgusting. leaders. Yeah, but they're fine. But the military wing, then what? Is the goal to level it and take it back? Have they thought that far ahead, do you think? I don't my guess is what they're thinking right now is first things first is eliminate Hamas. I think that's really the goal. Then they'll focus on what happens with the land. But you've got to take away the terrorists. And this isn't just Hamas. Now you're dealing with Hezbollah. Now you're dealing with the Houthis. But overall, they're going to be coming to America saying, what about Iran? And when you look at the fact we knew this at the United Nations, we knew that if Iran got any money, it didn't go to feed their people. It didn't go to humanitarian efforts. It went to fuel terrorist activity. And so you can't change a culture. This is a culture culture of a regime that says death to America, death to Israel every day. And when they were dragging these bodies through the streets, that's what they were chanting. So the real source of this, we can talk about eliminating Hamas, and we should. The real source of this is Iran. And when Biden loosened those sanctions, that money started flowing again. That's the biggest thing. And don't underestimate what's the core we're looking at. China imports more oil from Iran than anyone. Russia's getting drones and missiles from Iran. But we now Iran. have no leverage over either one of those countries. Maybe 10 years we may have. But but have clear have a clear moral compass knowing it's China, Russia, and Iran that are in this together. And why are they in this together? Because they all hate the West. They hate Israel. They hate America. That's what's getting ready to so happen. So you have the ambassador's job. You have the governor's job. But you're the president right now. And what changes tomorrow and what would have you have included in that speech yesterday uh, that President Biden delivered? You know, give credit where credit's due. Biden, the words that Biden used were important. He needed to say them. He should have said them a couple of days before. He should have been on air more. But I think what he said was really important. I can't for the life of me understand why he's tiptoeing around Iran. 
he still in his mind thinks he's going to get back into an Iran deal. But that's what fuels their fire. That's what gives them leverage. The one thing that we need, if I was president, we would demolish their economy. Make sure they don't get a dollar in their bank because that's how you stop the terrorism. We had that. We Iran was desperate with their economy. He loosened it up. Now they've got billions of dollars flowing into them. Then you go and you do this hostage situation. You give them $6 billion more. We need to freeze their funds. We need to really put down the sanctions to where no dollars are flowing into them. And we need to bring them to their knees. Hands down, that's what we need to do. But you sound like you like the policy of President Trump. What would President Haley do different? Did you, Or do you just agree the way President Trump handled? Look, President Trump and I worked together on getting out of the Iran deal. That was really important because you can't change a culture. Mattis did not want to get out of that deal, by the way. Uh, None of them wanted to get out of the deal. Kelly. And when I went back, you had all the National Security Council. Most of them were telling him not to get out of the Iran deal. It's only because I actually went to the International Atomic Energy Agency, asked the hard questions about what was really happening with the Iran deal, that I realized it actually had no teeth. And so I came back, made the case for him to get out. He clearly had wanted to get out if we had reason, and he had more than enough reason. So getting out was the first thing. The second thing is the sanctions. When we put those sanctions down, that's what really decimated their economy. We have to go back to that. Then finally, we have to go and eliminate all of these terrorist cells. Just like we focused on ISIS, we've got to focus on all of these terrorist cells. And then we've got to focus on the Arab community and let them know we've got to get in this together. Why is Saudi Arabia backing off? They're backing off because they don't trust that America and Israel will win. That's in a very, very important because point. if you leave Iran strong, Saudi Arabia is vulnerable. Saudi Arabia is going to lean towards Iran. We've already Remember seen them rocketed. do the deal. They got rocketed into their yep. oil. The, oil Saudi oil. Arabia was constantly at odds with Iran until China came in and negotiated this deal. Why did they even consider that? Because the U.S. was weakening. They didn't see the U.S. fighting Iran anymore. They saw the U.S. trying to get in a deal. So that pushed Saudi Arabia towards Iran. That's what we don't want to have happen. But Saudi Arabia is smart. They're not going to lean in to us in Israel unless they know that we can win and that we're serious about taking on Iran. When Republicans talk about wavering on Ukraine, the ones that aren't just I don't want to be involved in, I, you know, let's bring everything home. They'll say, listen, I don't like the tactics. I never hear about the objectives. It's never explained to the American people why it matters. Um, how do you convince Republicans, many of which you really respect and call you, call your friend, that it is right to support that cause? Well, first, Joe Biden's done a terrible job communicating this. You know, when you go and you give equipment, ammunition to anyone, you owe it to the taxpayers to tell them why you're doing this. Why does it matter? All of that. You look at what's happening. Putin said with his own words, once he takes Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next. That's a war because those are NATO countries. The reason we're doing this is we're trying to prevent war. But remember, go back to what I said. It's China, Russia and Iran. Those three together. A win for Russia is a win for China. Assume that Iran is in that mix. That's all three of them together. Three and a half percent of our defense budget. That's it. That's all we're giving. Eleven European countries are giving more than us, and they should. So our goal is how do we go and make sure that this comes to an end quickly? That's the goal. But you don't do it by pulling back. Remember, as much as we're feeling for Israel right now, 
That's what we were feeling for Ukraine. Americans can't get tired. We have to know the difference between right and wrong. We have to know the difference between good and evil. And that's what we're dealing with right now. George Will had a column today. I don't know if you read it. He called on everyone to drop out and support you uh, as the nominee to take on Trump. And even though his wife disagrees with him, he says you're his pick. Did you have any conversations with him? Are you surprised? Am I telling you this for the first time? I saw the article um, last night. I have not had any conversations with him. I have not seen him. Um, And, yes, it was an interesting surprise. What I will tell you is the momentum is real. We feel it in Iowa. We feel it in New Hampshire. We feel it in South Carolina. Well, you haven't felt it before? And we see it in the numbers. The numbers are going up. It's the reason that Trump is starting to attack is because he sees the same numbers that we are. But the momentum, the reason the momentum is real is because – Real Americans feel the chaos of the Democrats. They feel the chaos on the border. They feel the chaos with inflation. They feel the chaos in classrooms. They feel the chaos with crime on the streets. And they feel the chaos in Europe now and in the Middle East. But our focus has to be we can't fix Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. We need stability. We've got to leave the baggage and the negativity behind. We've got serious world issues right now. We need a stable hand, and we need to be able to take care of this so that we can keep Americans safe. And you're referring to you think President Trump brings chaos? Well, I think you look at the situation. I mean, there's a lot of drama and chaos. He's focused on the past. We need to be focused on the future. We've got a lot of issues with inflation, with education, with our border, with China, you know, with now what's happening with Israel. We can't keep talking about an old election or old things that are happening. We've got some serious work to do to lift Americans back up and make our world safe again. He's also giving you a nickname. Yeah, I think it's lame. He's kind of lost his luster. I mean, it's a it's a lame nickname. It doesn't even is it bird brain. Yeah, it doesn't even make sense. What does that even mean? Like he used to be cool at that. He's not cool at that anymore. But look, I told my team, let's celebrate because he sees the numbers we see. He knows exactly what we're doing. We're coming. We're coming. Get ready. All right. One thing is uh, it's going to be hard to match your energy and the money is coming in. Uh, And of course, this is your wheelhouse. Uh, Sadly, an international uh, calamity. This is where you thrive. Ambassador, thanks so much. Thanks so much. Go to NikkiHaley.com. And remember, a president's role is to keep Americans safe. That's what I'm determined to do is to make sure we keep every American safe. All right. Thanks so much, Governor. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Your call's left. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Let me say again, any country, any organization, anyone thinking of taking advantage of this situation, I have one word. Don't. Don't. Ian Bremer joins us now, president and founder of the Eurasia Group, uh, G Zero Media. Uh, and by the way, if anyone has control of a global crisis, it's him. Uh, Ian, your thoughts about here we are five days after the attack on Saturday. Well, uh, Netanyahu uh, said it pretty clearly of the Israeli prime minister. This is the worst atrocity 
against Jews uh, that we have seen since the Holocaust anywhere in the world. And, you know, we've all for decades said never again, and now we're facing this. So uh, the, the impact on the Israeli people, 10 million citizens of Israel, really can only be seen in that context and can't be overstated. I think that is that has to be the focus here. Um, but of course, uh, responding um, to this terrorist activity um, is a very different matter. Uh, it is uh, going to involve urban warfare, house to house, building to building in Gaza City. That is an incredibly hard thing to do. It will be a very violent thing to do. And when it's done, uh, there's an open question on what Israel does with Gaza. I mean, they, they don't want a permanent occupation, but no one else is prepared to take it over. And yet we are planning, whether it's a matter of days or weeks, for very serious and extensive ground warfare against a terrorist organization. It's the worst kind of fighting imaginable. The Israelis are trained for it, uh, but, uh, but that's what we're looking at going forward. Right. Uh, they say it's going to be harder than Fallujah. It's more dense. And you have to wonder if Hamas knew they knew it was coming and if they have surprises, ugly surprises uh, for the Israelis coming in that they weren't anticipating. The other thing you also said that Israel's in a more positive geopolitical position than ever in their history. In what respect? Well, and this is part of the context of the attack um, over the last five years. Israel's relationships in the region have improved dramatically. Um, and, you know, you'll remember that in the Obama administration, uh, John Kerry, when he was Secretary of State, said you cannot have any peace in the region unless you resolve the Israel-Palestine situation, the conflict. Well, nothing has been done to resolve the conflict, but there's a lot of peace. Um, Israel now has direct diplomatic relations with the UAE, with Morocco, with Bahrain. They were moving very close to a diplomatic uh, breakthrough with Saudi Arabia. Um, there's enormous amounts of investment. If you go to Dubai, there are all sorts of Jewish tourists from Israel. So first of all, Israel's geopolitical position is much stronger. They increasingly weren't just surrounded by enemies. They were doing business with people in the region. They were uh, even coordinating on technology and some national security issues. At the same time, the Palestinian situation has only gotten worse. Um, there are, you know, more of their land has been taken, more illegal settlements um, under Netanyahu. Um, and Hamas, um, a terrorist organization which represents the government to the extent there is one in Gaza, has continued to hold the position that Israel does not have a right to exist. They refuse to recognize them, unlike the Palestinian Authority in the much, much larger population, West Bank. And so, you know, Hamas, they were becoming dead enders. And, and what Hamas has done here, uh, not only has been to make a suicidal decision on the, on the part of their own leaders, because right. they will now be rooted out and killed, but, but they really want the Israelis. They want to goad the Israelis into acting like Hamas. Gotcha. They, they, they want have the to, Israelis to act like monsters. I always appreciate it. Uh, go check out uh, his site, uh, G0, the Eurasia Group. Uh, Ian Bremmer, thanks so much. Rich Lowry next. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
Right now, we look at it as kind of a, a war Israel's in, and we got hit by the fire. But if they start parading U.S. hostages uh, on TV and threatening to kill them, even if they don't yet kill them, then it's our war. And I think President Biden will have to act. And I, I, I hope he has it within him to do something tough. I, mean, I don't I see it. I, I never see it. Uh, and his instincts have been terrible. His policy decisions have been awful. He looks flat out incompetent. Just because you've been doing something a long time doesn't mean you're good at it, which is part of the reason he got lucky in backing Ukraine. Of course, that's the right move and the only move. But because of his years of incompetence and ineptness and Afghanistan specifically, Republicans are saying, why am I following this guy? At what cost? And now his speech yesterday, you have to wonder how much he means it. And Bill McGurn's point is, is, well, is, is well taken. There, we know 20 Americans are missing. We know 14 at least are dead. But where are those 20? And if they are brought out as American hostages, what do we do? What is the right move? Rich Lowry's uh, seen it all, reported on it all, wrote about it uh, as editor of National Review. He joins us now. Rich, welcome back. Your take on Bill McGurn's <coughs> scenario. Well, he's right, and this is a thing that was missing from Biden's otherwise completely fine and actually strong in many respects statement yesterday is this is a hostage crisis, right? They have American hostages. We don't know exactly how many, but they have them, and they are among the cohort that they are threatening to kill, perhaps in a, a very public manner if the Israeli operation continues. And how can that not be— kind of a, a top-line concern of the president of the United States, such that he mentions it <laughs> or, or tells, says something, sets out some policy about it. And he, he didn't, you know, I think part of the, the, the issue is that it's really hard, right? What, what can we do? We can't just go in and save them. What, what Hamas assets aren't be already being destroyed? But I would think you would uh, say something like, you know, uh, uh, Iran is complicit in this attack. If uh, every time an American hostage dies, Iran is losing an asset that's very important to it, whether it's a bunch of oil refineries or a, a, a nuclear site or whatever it is. And, and that's the way we're going to play, play this game and, and hope maybe Iran would have um, I influence over Hamas. But this is, you know, and I, I lived through the hostage crisis. I'm old enough. The Iranian hostage crisis during the Carter years, and it was a national obsession. And I think this this hasn't yet gotten the attention it deserves. U.S. is according to NBC, uh, the U.S. is investigating whether Iran gave advanced training to Hamas militants. Why would they say that? Because the Washington Post reported it, and two days prior, almost the next day, Wall Street Journal talked about biweekly meetings led by the Al Quds force leader with Hamas and Hezbollah in Beirut. So no one's refuted that story. They just haven't confirmed the story. Yeah, so the journal story, the, the one over the weekend that was most eye-popping, said uh, uh, Iran g gave the green light. Iran approved it. Ar Iran pushed the button. And we haven't seen reporting to confirm that, although, you know, they were citing Hamas uh, sources who presumably would know. But even if you say that the journal, just for the sake of argument, our friends and colleagues, they got it wrong. Still, the, the reporting that's been short of that, just that they they trained, you know, and prepared Hamas for this operation, that's enough, right? That's enough. What else do you need to know? Uh, why are you still desperate to kowtow to this regime, to hand resources to this regime, when they're complicit in the killing and the kidnapping of Americans? I mean, uh, how, how, more, how much more plain does it need to be? See, the whole thing, the speech was fine, but it was easy. 
You know what's going to be hard? Two <clears throat> weeks later, when the Palestinians, along mm-hmm. with Al Jazeera and all the other Arab outlets, and put, uh, trumpeted by uh, Qatar, obviously, and other Arab, uh, unfriendly Arab nations, Syria, they're going to be put talking about kids and others that are hurt as, as collateral damage, despite the warnings they're getting. And then they're going to be, well, you know, listen, hey, Israel, it's going to be, listen, we need you to back off. They're never going to say that. That's going to be reports and pressure on Netanyahu. So that's going to be that. That's what's going to test leadership. Yeah, of course. We, we've all, we've all seen the rhythm of this before. Now this is a much bigger event in, in every way. But there's an outrage perpetrated against Israel. Israel responds, and then the clock starts ticking before people are like, yeah, you know what, this is too much. This is disproportionate. Whatever it is, and we're going to see horrible images. You know, one war is a, a horrible thing. Two, Hamas goes out of its way, as we all know, to hide his weapon caches and headquarters and fighters and all the rest of it in sensitive civilian areas to get those images because they know that those images are enormously helpful in the propaganda war. So you're absolutely right. You just have to stay stalwart. It's, it's, it's great to, to be strong now, but the, the key is to really to be strong two weeks from now or three weeks from now. Because you can't teach them a lesson. If Hamas continued to rule that area, they'll win elections. They'll, by the way, we should just say it. The two-state solution is dead forever. We'll never allow, nobody would ever allow the West Bank and Gaza with a land bridge however connected, to exist. You think Gaza's bad? Isn't the West Bank five times the size mm-hmm. or more? You're going to allow them to exist right through your country? Forget it. Uh, I want you to hear David Rohde. As you know, he was held captive by the Taliban. Here's what he says is going to be the hard situation now in Gaza. Cut 15. I think they've been divided into smaller groups. I mean, it's, it's again, it's not clear how many there are, but they will do that for safety reasons. They're likely being held underground. Uh, one former intelligence official told me they thought they would be put in the houses of families. I, I was held near families and in sort of crowded places, uh, larger towns most of the time. And that's an effort to make any raid uh, more difficult and dangerous in terms of trying to deter it that would U.S. or Israeli forces want to go in and, and potentially kill civilians in the process of one of these raids. And then if there is uh, a success successful raid, you could have Hamas threaten to kill other hostages unless the U.S. stops. So it's not a hopeless situation. I think it's a grim, it's a terrible situation, I should say, but that it's Hamas wants a deal. Uh, given that they got a thousand prisoners for Gilad Shalit in the past, they see these hostages as very valuable bargaining chips. So, and there's also mm-hmm. efforts already by diplomats in the region to try to negotiate some kind of swap, talk about, talking about like freeing women and children in an exchange on both sides first. Women and children held apparently by the Israelis for some of these hostages. And I don't think Israel will be talking a lot about the hostages while working silently. I understand our special forces have been moved there. My hope is that the FBI hostage unit will be brought there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I don't know if negotiations formally going to take place. I did hear a report unconfirmed that Islamic Jihad has got the hostages now, and there's nobody with lines of communication to them. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's ex- extremely difficult. You know, just a hostage situation with a real committed hostage taker here in the United States can be difficult, right? And and you're doing this in a war zone with these hideous terrorists who are completely remorseless. I, I, I take it, everything Rody said. And obviously, he has a harrowing personal experience with this. This is this is going to be really hard to see a, uh, a favorable um, mm-hmm. outcome. But, the, you know, the temptation is going to be um, Israel cares about its people. You know, we, we care about our people. So the temptation is going to be to do some sort of trade. I think what you can't do and what maybe Hamas is counting on is you stay Israel's military hand 
through having the, these hostages, and, and I think that's just Israel can't can't let itself be uh, leveraged out of doing what it needs to do here. Obviously, Cory Bush, Rashida Tlaib, two Democrats who have come out in favor of the Palestinians, proudly standing by her flag, Rashida Tlaib, not the carnage that took place, blames it on the apartheid government of Israel. Finally, the this White House took on their own party, Cut 21. I've seen some of those statements this weekend, uh, and we're going to continue to be very clear. We believe they're wrong. Uh, we believe they're repugnant, and we believe they're disgraceful. Uh, our, our condemnation belongs squarely with terrorists who have brutally murdered, raped, kidnapped hundreds, hundreds of Israelis. Uh, there can be no equivocation about that. So that was surprising. I never thought they'd bring it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, good for her. There's no dancing around. That's that was a really forceful statement and appropriate. And just goes to just how repulsive some of these statements have been. How contemptible they have been. Running the the range of you know all these Harvard student groups to members of the squad. And the White House has the the moral and political sense, at least if nothing else, to realize it can't in, in any way be associated with with that kind of sentiment. And it's one thing, you know, Brian. It's, it's completely legitimate to criticize Israel, to have problems with the settlement policy or the blockade in Gaza or whatever it is. But you can't blame Jews for a pogrom. You know, you can't blame Israel for its uh, c- civilians being raped and murdered and kidnapped, which is what, what these people did. I mean, we, we just have a lot of, unfortunately, poisoned minds mm-hmm. in this country, including very much among young people. I mean, there has been one student group that, that I've seen has put out a de- morally decent statement about this. Well, by the way, today also uh, around now, there's going to be a convening of the Republican caucus in the House and they got to pick a speaker, something they did nine months ago. But evidently you need uh, Matt Gates's approval to do anything who does nothing except complain and pontificate and hope Newsmax calls him to host a show, says this uh, it looks like it's down to Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise. Kevin McCarthy said yesterday, don't nominate me. Uh, here's what Steve Scalise said this morning. Cut 32. What people have really liked about my approach is that I've been a unifier, I've been somebody who's built coalitions throughout my entire career, and we've delivered big wins, and people want to see us get back on track. Uh, We need a Congress that's working. Tomorrow we need to get Congress back to work. Uh, Speaker Scalise on day one, uh, we will, number one, be passing a resolution to express our strong support for Israel. Jim Jordan sounds just as conversant and confident. They are friends. How does this play out, Rich Lowry? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure House Republicans know, so I'll have to wait and see. I think both. How should it play? Fine. How, how? Um, I don't have a. I don't have a preference. You know, Scalise is kind of the inside game, right? The very traditional. You go with the next in line would would be good. You know, the, the stakes here, Brian, are just small, right? I mean, they they have control of one chamber with a narrow majority, so there's just limits to what they can do. So even if you have a terrible choice, and I think neither of these guys are a terrible choice or a fantastic choice, you know, the best choice ever, it's not going to make a huge difference. So I can see the case for Scalise. I can see the case with Jordan. I'd be perfectly com- comfortable with. Either with either of them, I just hope it's it's resolved in, in fairly um, uh, quick quick order. You know that this doesn't drag on for weeks. Can you blame the American people if they think the Republicans have shown they're not ready to lead any chamber? 
Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was incre- incredibly self-destructive and stupid last week. I don't think it, you know, most people, they don't pay attention the way we do. This is affecting zero uh, uh, individual lives of anyone, but it's not, it's not a great look, especially if it if it drags on. It just wasn't fair to Kevin McCarthy. I mean, he'd done a good job. He'd done nothing wrong. And there was this personal vendetta where just through an accident of the process and how it worked, Gates was able to leverage every single Democrat and eight Republicans to, to uh, defy the will and overcome the will of the overwhelming majority of the Republican caucus. Never should have happened. Shouldn't have done it. The, the political effect is probably almost nil. All right. I'm going to speak to Donald Trump later. Uh, it's going to be on tomorrow's show. Uh, what, should I, what should I ask him? Hostages. What, what would he do? You know, I, I think that's that's a big question. I, and I think this this helps him in the primary, not that he needs a lot of uh, help, but probably it help him in a general election, too, because just the intuitive argument that he makes and it's hard to push back against is why is it this never happened when I was president? And it's because a lot of people were scared and they should be scared. That's called deterrence. And we've we've lost that. Wow, you didn't even hesitate, Rich. It makes it seem so easy. Uh, all right. <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs> Rich. Thank you. I appreciate thanks, it. Thank you. All right. uh, Israel's at war. We're covering it all. Gaza's being lit up. You see uh, explosions and you see a lot of smoke. There was uh, rockets uh, into central Israel, we understand. We're trying to get to the bottom of that. We'll follow it with your calls and insight in just a moment. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A lot of the the border sort of protection was electronic. Uh, The New York Times reported that drones were first sent in by Hamas that took out uh, cell towers. And there were these, there were actually remote machine guns and surveillance cameras that were taken out as well by drones. So the Israeli soldiers didn't see Hamas coming. They were taken out quickly. There weren't, you know, communications and warnings couldn't have gotten to them. So a a catastrophic failure. And and we're reporting that it's going to be very difficult to prove, you know, and likely no evidence that Iran was directly involved in this attack. But the U.S. is investigating whether some of the Hamas people that carried this out received advanced training from Iran. Again, no smoking gun is likely to emerge here, but for years, Iran has been providing weapons and training and money to Hamas. So this attack never could have happened without the years of, of constant support from Iran. And that's what Hamas, uh, a Hamas spokesperson actually said the next day, said they wanted to thank Iran for their support. And then they celebrated it. And now we hear report with the Wall Street Journal followed up by the Washington Post, and now NBC is investigating. At the very least, I think as a policy measure, you got to always wonder. You know, you can't just walk around just uh, bombing countries because they did things that are uh, against our allies and against us. After all, we got uh, we are missing twenty people minimum, twenty people. But how much more proof do you need that they need a, re- a reconfiguring and a reanalyzing or reimagining? I'll use the Black Lives Matter term. A reimagining of our relationship with Iran, because we know about their role with the creation of Hezbollah, the gold standard of terror groups, and now a political organization as well as a military organization, and now Hamas, who got a lot better, a lot more financing, a lot more precise rockets, a lot more training, a lot more sophistications, and a lot more munitions. And who knows what's awaiting the Israelis when they get into Gaza. I mean, they're destroying, uh, they hit 450 sites in one day alone. That'll definitely... Uh, soften up a battlefield, don't you think? 
So the president did speak yesterday, speak directly, but I love to see it uh, in two days, in three days. How about three weeks? So uh, more from uh, Barry Weiss weighed in yesterday, and she talked about some of the people pushing back Palestinian rallies, uh, Harvard University statements supporting the Palestinians, condemning the Israelis, Long Beach State, same thing, Cornell Graduate School just as well. She, creator of Substack, former of the New York Times, cut 10. This is different. What has happened over the past 72 hours is the biggest slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust. But unlike with the Nazis, it took years, remember, for the Allies to uncover the extent of Germany's war crimes because the Nazis tried to hide it. In this case, with Hamas in 2023, they are live streaming their atrocities on TikTok. They're filming them with sophisticated drones. And not only that, they're taking the phones of their victims and taping this and then sending it out through their to their contacts. More cut 11. They are gleefully and proudly showing the extent of their barbarism. And I think what has occurred over the past 72 hours, it's very, very important for people who don't often pay attention to the news from Israel, who feel like it's a place far away that has many problems to understand that this is about civilization. This is not a war with two sides, with militants on one side and an army on the other. The two sides here are terrorists like ISIS who have raped and maimed and mutilated and murdered innocent people. And the one is a democracy uh, who happens to be an ally uh, who historically belong in that land, who we played a major role, Harry Truman's administration, in making sure they had a homeland after World War II. We watched them cut in half in 1948. We watched them battle all their enemies and take uh, and buffer zones after the 67 war, only to be surprised by the Yom Kippur War in 1973 and constantly on the attack to up until this day. But the thing that's different now is people realize, sober people realize, the trade with uh, Israel is in our interest. They are never been a threat before, and it's Iran that should be isolated. And that should be the goal of all the diplomats and State Departments out there while reigning in Iran. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. He comes here from Midtown Manhattan, just blocks away when there was a rally in honor of Hamas in New York City. And what a tragic reminder uh, that not everyone is sane in New York City. And many Democrats no longer support Israel, period. Despite the carnage we all witnessed with over a thousand dead, uh, what are the numbers now? Uh, the latest numbers I had when I started the show, the IDF says the toll is now 1,200 uh, uh, dead in Gaza, 2000, excuse me, in Israel, uh, 2,700 wounded, 14 Americans have lost their lives, 20 are missing. Uh, and that's where we stand right now as the number continues to rise as we get a hold of what really happened when the terrorists, about a few thousand, uh, breached the border in Gaza and went into Israel proper. Um, Israel says, "Excuse me, I'll check that number. Fifteen hundred dead. They have now covered third three hundred. They've now brought up three hundred thousand reserves. They now have a fighting force of six hundred thousand, which is remarkable. 
considering they're a country of just 8 million. With us right now, and by the way, coming up a little bit later, uh, the former congressman on the House Select Committee for Intelligence, Mike Rogers, former FBI guy, you know, military officer, who now wants to be the next senator of Michigan. So he'll be with us too. But right now from FPN, editor-at-large for the Wall Street Journal, Gerard Baker. Gerard, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Brian. Hey, Gerard, what about the, the story uh, that is now out that you guys put out that talked about Egypt giving uh, giving Israel a heads up that something big is happening in Gaza? Yeah, well, you know, we've got a couple of interesting stories. Uh, we had a story at the weekend. We were the first to report that Iran was directly involved in the planning and the uh, and that all the detailed preparation for this uh, attack. Now, that has been denied. As you know, the administration continues to, I think, try for, for its own, I think, purposes, you know, political purposes, continues to, tr- to Did deny. Did they deny it or say they can't confirm it? They say they can't. They don't have evidence. Yeah, okay. but uh, I think I think you know. To me, that 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 that's a pretty strong indication they know it's true. On the Egypt thing, yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> there are other reports. Uh, I've just been speaking. Funny enough, I literally just got off the phone with a uh, a contact in who's in Israel, former former ambassador to the United States, who's there now. Is actually in southern southern Israel, attending some of the funerals of uh, some of the people who've been killed. And you know, it, it is. It, it does seem. Nobody can believe that the scale of this attack, given what we know, given given the sophistication of Israeli intelligence, given the given given the scale of this, you just mentioned, you know, probably thousands of Hamas fighters who must have been preparing for this. You know, the intelligence that we should have, the human intelligence, the signals intelligence. They use cell phones. We presumably have to some indication that, that this was clearly a major, major dropped ball on, on the part of Israeli intelligence. And, and we are getting reports. You say we've had these reports that they were also tipped off by, by Egypt. I, I think, look, we're going, there's going to be huge recriminations. And obviously not now. Now is not the time for that. Now is the time for Israel to, you know, to seek its vengeance. And it will. Uh, and it will try to destroy Hamas as it can. But there will be in time, there will be a massive internal uh, investigation as to what went wrong. And I think, you know, we will learn that, that, that you, know, I, you know, again, it looks like if, this, if the story about Egypt is true, I think there was maybe a degree of complacency. And again, the, the, the contact I was just talking to in Israel said, you know, it just, it may have just they just weren't focused on, they weren't focused on Gaza. They were focused heavily on the West Bank. They didn't take these tips. They didn't take the, any intelligence they were getting seriously. And, you know, I, for comparison, Brian, in 1973, when Israel was attacked by surprise by its Arab neighbors and what was the greatest disaster then, I think this is probably eclipses this, but the greatest disaster in Israeli history, you know, that they fought that war, the, the Yom Kippur War, as it was called, and, and they were successful in it, but it did result in the, uh, in, ultimately, in the collapse of, the, of Golda Meir's government and the end of her political career, and you have to wonder whether the same thing might not be in store for Benjamin Netanyahu. But Americans are involved in this. Uh, I mean, we got, we're 14 are dead. Uh, 20 are missing. Uh, it is confirmed. We do expect there uh, to emerge soon that there there are hostages. And I'm sure soon we're going to see uh, some video of it soon. Uh, this is what Lindsey Graham says we should do. Cut seven. The people we're dealing with have been programmed since birth to hate the Jews. They're modern day religious Nazis. You have to pull this problem up by the roots. You have to go into Gaza. You have to shut down Hamas as we know it. You have to occupy the area and to get people you can live with there. Hamas doesn't want a two-state solution. It wants a one-state solution, the destruction of the Jewish people. The last group tried to do that with the Germans. Look what happened. Fifty million people died. The Israelis, when they say never again, they mean it. Damn it, they mean it. So they got to go in, and you can't just root them out. You can't neutralize them. Things have to change. 
And this is an opportunity to change it. You can't wait a year or six months, Gerard. We've kind of never been down this path before. We're, the Israel is not beating back countries and, and for, pushing back an invasion. Now they have to level an area and take it back, an area they didn't want. Yeah. Look, I think you're absolutely right, uh, Brian. I agree with uh, the uh, the sentiments that Lindsey Graham expressed. I, I just there are, there are two challenges here, two particular challenges. First, there is the military challenge. This is a very densely populated area. Uh, by the way, we're dealing with an enemy that not only you know puts civilians in harm's way deliberately as human shields, which is what it will do, uh, you know, in an incredibly cowardly way. Tries to and, and Israel does play by the rules of law. Of war. Look, there will be. There will be collateral damage. I'm afraid to use that term, but you know that there will be. There will be civilians inevitably who will die in this sort. You can't. You can't take this kind of action that Israel needs to take without uh, without it costing innocent lives. But that's not Israel's intention. Israel goes out of its way to avoid doing that. But Hamas makes it impossible for them to avoid doing that. So there's so there's that problem. So there's going to be, you know, hand, there's going to be block by block fighting through through Gaza with incredible casualties. Israel will sustain a lot of casualties. Israel lost 60 soldiers the last time uh, it invaded uh, Gaza in the 19, in, 19, in 2014. Uh, this is going to be much larger than that. By the way, that force that Israel has assembled, it seems to be assembling for this invasion. You mentioned it, I think, like half a million soldiers. That's That's as big as the U.S. force that was assembled, bigger than, actually substantially bigger than the U.S. force that was assembled to invade Iraq in 2003. Iraq is a you know, country of a uh, hundred times, I don't know, many, many, many times the size of Gaza. So th- this is going to be an incredible, incre- incredible military operation in a very small area. So it's going to be very challenging to do what they want to do. And then secondly, I'm sorry to say this, but we're going to have this political chorus from abroad, uh, from, from around the world, including, I'm sorry to say, from the United States, which, you know, because Hamas is very good at exploiting public opinion and parading innocent civilians who've been killed, uh, the pressure become Israel becomes the aggressor. They're already, you know, there are people already in Europe, um, Brian, who are saying, who are accusing Israel of war crimes for cutting off the electricity and water supply to Gaza. This is literally, this is literally part of the conversation in Europe. That Israel, less than a week, and we are, as we are still recovering bodies of those people who were massacred by Hamas, it's Israel that's being accused of war crimes. So... It faces, you know, it faces the immediate military challenge. It faces the wider political challenge, which is going to be difficult. I mean, I don't doubt Israeli determination. They will go ahead and do it. And then the other challenge it faces, of course, too, is we know that we know, again, despite what the administration said, we know that Iran is deeply implicated in this. And that challenge has also got to be met at some point because it just won't be good enough. Even if Israel is able to overcome those challenges and inflict massive damage on Hamas, it doesn't change the fundamental picture, which is that Iran, the puppet masters of these people, Hezbollah in the north and Hamas in the south, is committed to wiping Israel off the face of the earth. And that challenge, that threat is – I'm sorry to say this, but that has got to be dealt with at, at some point, and uh, that's going to just – add to the complications and to the risks here that this escalates into a much wider conflict. The previous administration had them weaker uh, than they've ever been in my lifetime. Uh, So I I wouldn't mind going back to that. Uh, This is what the New York Times wrote. This R. David uh, Harden, who's a former assistant administrator for USAID and Bureau for Democracy. He says, it appears Hamas wants to draw the Israeli soldiers into a quagmire like Hezbollah did in southern Lebanon from 1985 to 2000. After years of fighting, Israel suffered a humiliating and chaotic withdrawal, leaving an empowered and threatening Hezbollah on the northern border, which still might get involved in this. Do you think that could be the game plan? 
Yeah, I think I think. Look again. Well, then let's not forget again. I'm sorry to keep coming back to Iran, but Iran is the puppet master here. Iran is these are the, this is the this is the the regime that that is trying to, you know, uh, trying to essentially it's trying to achieve its supremacy in the region with its nuclear program, with its uh, support of terrorism around the region. Hezbollah is as exactly as you say, and as that New York Times report says, is very very strong. Is much 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 better equipped, much better trained. They've Hezbollah fighters have been fighting in Syria for the last few years. Uh, it's a very, very well-trained, very well-armed force, um, and we're seeing—we've seen in the last few days—you know—it looks like they're probing, it looks like they're testing to see. Look, if if if, if Israel is going to amass, you know, its entire army and well, almost its entire army and a huge part of its army and its reserve force to undertake this attack on Gaza, you know, then that does—that does, of course open up the possibility that a very well-trained and armed Hezbollah could attack from the north. And I think that's what they're doing right now. They're probing and they're testing. So, yeah, this is – and, you know, again, if Hezbollah is involved, uh, you know, we know – I mean, Iran is involved in backing Hamas, but Iran, but Hezbollah are the direct proxies of Iran in, in Lebanon. And, again, that, 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 that simply points to a, a much more significant escalation of this war. I want you to bring you to what Dave Ignatius wrote today, Great Connections on Foreign Policy. He said, what other surprises do they have? For them to have planned this well this long, there have to be another step to this. Hamas must have anticipated Israel would attack Gaza in revenge. What defense are they preparing? According to one Western official, the intel services of Jordan and Egypt, as we initially mentioned, gave Israel a grim warning that agents inside Gaza report that Hamas has prepared improvised explosive devices, anti-tank weapons, and other defenses, along with avenues to approach the enclave. Uh, so they're going to go house to house in a very dense situation, more challenging than Fallujah. And he thinks Hamas prepared for this. Very much so. Look, I mean, that, no question. This is, I'm sure this is why they, they did this, not just because they are committed, sort of institutionally committed to you know, killing every Jew on the face of the earth, but because they wanted to provoke Israel into this massive response and to draw them into, you know, yeah, what could be? I, I mean, I think the Israeli military is astonishingly uh, efficient and astonishing, and one of the one of the one of the best in the world. And I think they will be able to achieve their objectives, but it will be bloody and it will be messy. I just say one other thing, that, that Brian. You talk about, you know, what else do they have planned? I, I hate to say this, and I don't want to sort of drag kind of domestic politics into this because I hope the United States can remain united. But you know, I really worry about our border here, and and, and you know, the the. What one of the lessons of this should be, you know, Israel had a Israel had a fence. Israel had a supposedly impregnable fence, um, which those Hamas fighters were just able to break through and then to cause that kind of havoc. Who is to say that whether it's Hamas or Hezbollah or some of these other Islamist groups in Africa, you know, Al Shabaab, some of these, you know, Islamic Jihad in Africa and other other organisations, who's to say that they are not steadily building? Um, you know, a, a, a terrorist force that, by the way, doesn't have to break through a fence uh, on the southern border of the United States. It just simply has to, as we've seen in the last couple of years, just has to walk, walk across or swim across the river, and and conduct that kind of terrorist attack. And what they could do in a place like—I mean, again, I don't, I don't hate to even to raise this possibility, but you know, I, I think it, this has got to wake us up to the not just to you know, not just to America's obvious right for economic and other reasons to protect its own borders but for security reasons this yeah. is this is you know this is a real live threat you know we're all you know we remember what happened we all remember with you know grief what happened on 911 and and we changed our 
entire security procedures in transportation and airports to 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 to, to, to fend off the risk of another 9/11. But there won't be another 9/11, Brian. They won't do that again. They'll do something else. And you know they could. They and and who's to say they won't exploit the weakness at the American border to do exactly that? And I, I just think, and again, I, this is we should be focused on Israel right now. We should be focused on supporting Israel. I don't want to turn this into a uh, again to into an American issue. No, but but people are listening right now. Want to know how it affects them, and that's why it's such a perfect transition. And to bring that to key, Bill Malusian and Griff Jenkins came out and they talked to Border Patrol, and they said this is a list that you should pay attention to. It's called the Special Interest Alien List. Over the last two years, six thousand three hundred Afghans, three thousand one hundred Egyptians, Iran Iran has six hundred fifty nine that we know, Iraq one twenty three. Lebanon, 164. That's where Hezbollah is. Jordan, 123, presumably a friendly nation, but they have terror elements there. Pakistan, over 1,600. Turkey, which basically condemned Israel already, uh, a fake NATO ally. Uh, It should not be in NATO, even though I know there are certain advantages. 30,000 from Turkey. 139 from Yemen. That's a terror fighting force. Yeah, it is, exactly. And look, we saw what... A couple of thousand Hamas fighters could do in southern Israel. By the way, remember, southern Israel, which is, this is, a, again, a terrible security failure by obviously uh, allowing these guys, somehow letting these guys get through. But it's, southern Israel is, is, an, is, a, is, a, is a part of the world that has been on constant alert for this kind of thing for the last 30 years. We know, you know, this is just constant, constant risk, firing of rockets from, from Gaza, the constant threat of terror. And, and those, you know, they were obviously ill-prepared for this. But but think about, you know, the situation in Texas or Arizona. They're not prepared for, for this, for, 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 a, for a major terrorist attack of, of this kind of scale. Now, you know, more Americans are armed and perhaps could defend themselves, although a lot of Israelis are armed too. But just think of the, you know, a, a few thousand of these guys armed who could come across the come across the border, what they could do, the havoc they could wreak, and look look at what we saw. And again, the other thing to remember about these guys, Brian, of course, is they don't they don't they're not they're concerned they're not concerned whether they die. In fact, you know, they kind of want to die, right? This is they, they believe in you know all these in this uh, you know they, they'll go to heaven and the virgins and all this kind of stuff. They are they are this, they are they are suicidal homicidal maniacs and they have no fear of dying so the risk that you know a, a several hundred or a thousand or whatever of these could get across the border armed yep. teeth imagine the carnage they could I, again i i hate to even i hate right. to raise that specter but we but have to be aware of it we have to be aware I of but you're our last question uh has anyone from the government uh contacted the wall street journal editorial board uh and said hey guys where'd you get this information and if so would you cooperate uh, I, I know nothing. It's, nobody's contacted me, and I know nothing about it. I mean, look, we take our obligations very seriously. We are obligations you know, as journalists, and it's important for us to get information out there. But also, I was editor of the Wall Street Journal for a number of years, and there are occasions where, you know, where for national security reasons, you do have to weigh whether, you know, the the, yeah. the the risk that information you're about to publish could have national security implications. It, you know, it, it would be a very, very, very high standard um, for, you know, that that would have to to be reached in order for us to, and again, I can't speak. I have nothing to do with this decision making right. anymore. Just but curious, I, just curious. I, when I, but when I no, but when I was, you know, when I was editor, when I was in charge, you know, there were occasions where we okay. were contacted by law enforcement, or you know, again, uh, with the with, Gerard, the, uh, with yeah, the, Gerard the Baker. I'll have to end it there. But thank you very much for that insight. The Wall Street Journal did better reporting than our intelligence apparatus. Insane. Radio that makes you think. 
This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is a moment for the United States to come together, to grieve with those who are mourning. Let's be real clear. There is no place for hate in America. Not against Jews, not against Muslims, not against anybody. We reject, we reject, what we reject is terrorism. Uh, that was the President of the United States' speech, but he did not bring up anti-Semitism, which is seemingly behind us. Uh, he did not bring up uh, Iran, who finances this. And now the NBC says that there's a full investigation to see Iran's role in this attack. And if they do find Iran complicit, what will they do? They'll have to reverse their policy that Barack Obama put in place. They, they concluded, they surmised that our, our lack of relations with Iran and Cuba needed to be ameliorated. And once they're fixed, the world will be a better place. Cuba's a disaster. Still, of course, thankfully reversed. Nothing's changed. They're, now they're more in bed with China than Russia, but both those countries. So we went back to the other policy. They still haven't reversed that yet, I hope. And now this. this they'll have to say, I was wrong. We gave them a shot, and I was wrong. I'd respect that a lot more than we're going to investigate. When we find out it is uh, Iran behind it, planning, plotting, and financing, we're just not going to say anything. We're going to wait it out. Can't give these people another four years. Our foreign policy can't handle it. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We're just going to go through here. You can't comment about Hamas terrorists chopping off babies' heads. Do you condone what Hamas has done, chopping off babies' heads, burning children alive, raping women in the street? You have no comment about children's heads being chopped off? Uh, that was our own Hillary Bond uh, asking Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib uh, why she's posing in front of a Palestinian flag the day of the attacks uh, that wiped out at over a thousand. And I'm talking about uh, the most horrific way to die you could possibly imagine. Uh, the, the Palestinians did that. Hamas led did that. And yet this congresswoman from Michigan continues to support the Palestinians. And when she can uh, vilify the apartheid government of Israel uh, at every turn, along with Cori Bush. AOC took a couple of days, but she finally condemned Hamas. You believe that? Uh, former Congressman Mike Rogers on the House Select, uh, Select Committee for Intelligence now wants to be the next senator from Michigan, joins us now. Congressman, you know her district. Do you think they're happy with this? Well, you know, we have a large uh, Arab population in southeast Michigan uh, and, you know, a sizable Palestinian uh, uh, population. I just can't believe that everybody is happy about this. It's, you know, majority I would argue majority Christian than it is Muslim in her district. Uh, I can't believe they are. I mean, this is of the most the, the easiest thing you can do is condemn people who are shooting children in the back, beheading babies, kidnapping uh, elderly women. I mean, uh, you know, again, I hope she has to pay a price for this politically coming up. We'll see, but that's the Michigan you want to win over. Uh, when you, see, you you focus on intelligence, you know how great uh, the reputation is of Mossad and Israel. 
when you find out they, they broke through at 29 separate points, five different ways from bulldozers to hang gliders to, uh, uh, to tanks, uh, running th- and Toyota to, uh, pickup trucks, and to think that uh, from the watchtower, the huge open field of agriculture by that uh, Gaza fence, if I told you that that was going to be in place and that was going to work, wouldn't you have told me there's no way? Well, you know, they had it's, – it's fairly automated. And you mean the attack wouldn't work? You, yeah, the attack the wouldn't work because of the wall yeah, that no, was there. Going, yeah, I would argue you're right. The attack wouldn't work. But you would also have tips leading up to it. And that would come from signals intelligence, human intelligence, uh, which Mossad is very, very good at and, and Shinbet is very, very good at. Uh, and what was astounding to me is how they, the the Hamas terrorists, uh, obfuscated their communications, meaning they used things other than uh, uh, email and texts and phone calls. Right? They completely went around all of those systems. Number one, and that that it was with help with a nation state, no doubt in my mind, which is Iran. Secondly, they launched a huge disinformation campaign. Again, I think this was abetted by Iran, where they were basically trying to communicate to the Israelis through what would be uh, believable channels, meaning talking on phones that they believe they they, they would be believe were tapped by the Shin Bet or Mossad, and saying things like, "We just don't want a war. We had that. We've had enough." They were taking advantage of this economic cross-border activity between Gaza and Israel. And all of the messages coming back, uh, candidly, I think, caught the Israelis flat-footed. They started to believe it, which, by the way, is something we need to worry about on our southern border, right? All the misinformation that there's no problem here. Uh, By the way, there's nobody coming across to do bad things. They're all economic uh, refugees, uh, refugees, all of that. Uh, we need to be very, very cautious of just the way the Israelis got lulled to sleep on this thing. And you're right. If you'd have told me that's the way they were going to do it, I would have laughed and said, there's just no way. Really good targeting um, on the things that were going to make it hard to get breached that fence, by the way. Again, I think that was a target set developed right. by a professional intelligence service in Iran, passed along to the Hamas uh, terrorist organization for them to implement. So there's a few things going on. The NBC is doing an investigation and it says that the White House is doing an investigation to find out Iran's role. The, Washington, the Wall Street Journal says it was definitive. They basically orchestrated the meetings in Beirut. Washington Post expanded on that, says it might have been work for two years. We've seen rehearsal with hang gliders and tanks and all the explosions. Hamas released all this tape. So Hamas thanked Iran for helping. What if if it in fact it, everything points to Iran, let alone their financing, influencing and scripting and weapons manufacturing? What should be the reaction? After all, there are at least 20 Americans still missing. Oh, completely. And so the Biden administration's done something pretty interesting, and I, I think they're going to have to pay a price for this as well. They basically made it impossible for us to produce our own oil and our own energy in the United States, making it more and more difficult. And in order to make sure the prices don't rise, they went to Iran and allowed them certain sanctions relief. And now they're producing more oil than they did in 2018 when the Trump administration put on uh, sanctions on their uh, on their oil. And all of that cash, by the way, goes into this bad problem. So, I mean, the Biden administration is just kind of they're, they're in the 
consequences of their actions have contributed to this event, no doubt in my mind. So what I would do immediately is I would make sure that they pay that price. All of that oil's got to stop. You can't put it on the market. Anybody buying it, uh, anybody looking at it, anybody that drives by it in Iran ought to be facing sanctions right now. I mean, this is the most horrific uh, terrorist attack since 9-11. But, but their customers, uh, in, in but, but Congressman Rogers, their customers are Iran, China, and Russia. So what, yeah, what we, do we do there? We, we interdict? We can hurt China. We, we can hurt China. I'm not sure we can hurt Russia anymore, but we can certainly hurt China. China needs to pay a price for this as well. They are – I mean, remember, China is the one that's propping up uh, Russia in their effort in Ukraine, uh, and China is also helping by buying all of the uh, – the oil they can get their hands on and uh, because the sanctions came off remember that that's why they're buying i think if you put it back and tell china listen you cannot you can no longer be a part of this problem or you are directly supporting terrorism oh by the way that includes uh, the kidnapping uh, and killing of americans in israel i mean i i just think this is the time to stand up and say we're not going to put up with this anymore and you have to do it uh, and, and by the way, at the same time, the Biden administration said, OK, we're going to all the things we've been doing to make us more energy dependent and more entangled uh, in places like Iran. We're going to end that today. Now, I don't think they'll do that. But if you do this in tandem, uh, I think you can have a pretty significant impact on Iran. And you have got to cut off their source of income, which is the Biden administration's releasing and lightening up on those sanctions relief on selling oil. And by the way, as soon as they acquiesced and started reapproaching with Iran, secret meetings, trying to get back in the nuclear deal, and what they did, the Saudi Arabia started keeping their distance. China came in and, and used some influence. So some of the people who quietly behind closed doors will be applauding the re-isolation of Iran at the best we can would be Saudi Arabia, wouldn't they? Uh, yeah, I think they would absolutely. Uh, they're very worried about what Iran's activities. Remember, Iran is also supporting the proxy group, uh, the Houthis, who are in Yemen, causing problems for the, for Saudi Arabia. And that Yemen is a border country of Saudi Arabia. And so they're causing dis, uh, problems in Yemen, and they're also causing problems for Saudi Arabia. Uh, they're also supporting uh, uh, the uh, Shia militias in Iraq. They're also supporting the Shia uh, efforts uh, and terrorism efforts, by the way, in Afghanistan. And so they are huge disruptors mm -hmm. across the Middle East. And that's dangerous for all of us. And remember, any time you get chaos, ungoverned spaces, that means terrorists can train, recruit. And by the mm -hmm. way, the real target is, yes, Israel, but also the United States, which is why they were all chanting death to the United States after they had kidnapped all those uh, Israelis and Americans in Israel. All right. So uh, the Speaker of the House, they're behind closed doors right now. Hopefully it will merge with one candidate for the country's uh, sake. Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise are the finalists. Here's both making their case. Cut 34. So they both like each other. They're not enemies. Uh, what do you think? Who's going to emerge with that? And how should this play out? You used to be a member of the House. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to play out. I think it's probably closer than people realize. But what I hope happens, this is what my hope is, that they'll have that vote. They'll announce the vote. One of the candidates will withdraw 
support the other candidate, the winning candidate, and they come out of that conference with a unanimous vote. That would be the best thing for the Republicans in the House, best thing for the country, and it will show our adversaries overseas that, yeah, democracy's got some bumps in the road, uh, but we can come out of this thing uh, and still be in charge. And I worry more about the, the, what it says to our adversaries candidly at this point with everything that's going on in the world than I do our friends. Uh, really important to say we're not messing around. Uh, we're going to support our allies around the world when they're in trouble. And by the way, we have governance. Uh, now we have uh, a Speaker of the House who's going to help us uh, you know, navigate some, some tough waters here. Who would you pick? I don't know. Honestly, I, I've, you know, I, haven't, I, I know them both. I've worked with them both. I think they're both very, very capable. I just think it's going to be – I'm not sure I know the whole sentiment of the conference right now and which direction they want to go. So I'd, hard, I'd be hard-pressed to speculate. Are you for supporting the war in Ukraine? I Well, not without a plan from the administration. I, they have got to come up. And here's another part that they haven't really been honest about. We're apparently supporting all of the government of Ukraine's workers uh, through the World Bank, and about $20 million apparently of that is ours, $3 million from the – and the numbers are you know roundabout, but $3 million from the United Kingdom. I, I didn't know that. I just found that out recently. I, I just the, – the administration has to come to Congress and make its case. I think walking away uh, is causes more trouble for us in the future than than trying to figure this out, number one. But number two, they need to be held accountable. You can't just keep pouring money in there, not being able to account for it, making sure it ends up in the right hands and in the right place and used appropriately. If you can't do all of those things, we better rethink what we're doing in Ukraine. Uh, how's your Senate campaign going? I think it's going great. We just covered the entire state. We just did a Upper Peninsula tour, and it's uh, beautiful up there for your listeners. You ought to get up there in the in the fall colors change. Uh, and we're just getting a tremendous response. I think people are ready for someone who can walk in the door on day one uh, and start to work on these mm-hmm. big, tough issues like inflation, like the economy, like that $700 a month that the Biden mm-hmm. administration is costing Michigan families uh, because of their uh, borrow, spend, and grow government policies, uh, I think they're ready for somebody to do just that. And that's why we've just been picking up a lot of steam. over. The- well, just so you know, I'll be in Holland, Michigan. Uh, Teddy and Booker T. I'm doing a tour talking about all history and having fun on stage. Um, so I'll be in Holland, Michigan. So I'll, uh, what, day, what day is that? Just December 16th. So I hope to see you there. Awesome. That would be great. And Holland's a great place. Make sure you wear your wooden clogs. You know, that's. Uh, I did not know that. Hopefully they'll have arches because I have flat feet. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. And not slivers. <laughs> Congressman, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Brian. Take All right. one 408 You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What are your feelings about the attacks against Gaza right now? How can I the must government... say, uh, look, you, you're looking for, for a symmetrical situation, and I must say, it isn't. Um, if you were dealing with a, a war who is between two countries, countries don't take children hostages. I'm sorry. It's against the laws of war. It's against humanity. It's against anything that we all believe in. 
every time we had missiles uh, shot at us, I used to say to my children that they should be sympathetic towards the children of Gaza because they suffer a lot more than they do. I'm not sure I still believe in it now. So that was an exchange with uh, another network, Andrea Mitchell, back and forth. I will say this. Normally, I don't know really. I don't even know if Hitler and Mussolini were doing that. I don't know if Stalin was doing that. It was just killing people point blank, the brutality. But I know the Russians are actually kidnapping children. So I don't know if that really holds up. But the brutality of this enemy uh, is with Hamas. That's what the emphasis is about. You can't say, well, hold off and, and you know, watch your fire and, and make sure you don't tip anything over or, or break the furniture while they are taking infants and cutting their heads off. That's what people should understand. When you see rallies in New York City in Times Square for three straight days, hundreds of people, and then you see people holding up dead bodies on their phones, pictures of their phones, uh, missing arms and limbs, and saying, look, we showed you, they're Israelis. We showed you, and, and they're bragging and they're smiling. How do you deal with that enemy? You talk to them? George, listen on WGDJ in Albany. Hey, George. Hey, what's going on, Brian? Uh, a little change in the subject here. Will BLM be called to the carpet for the post that was released yesterday? First off, I'm a white male. If my organization ever did that, I'd be automatically labeled an anti-Semite, and I, I would lose everything. Will they be called to the carpet? There wasn't even an apology. Will they be called to the carpet? There should be, but it's going to take a question to the press secretary. It's not going to be a statement from the White House. I mean, they're getting uh, derided wide and far, but maybe not by enough. And they're going to say, well, it's just one chapter because there is no one organization. By the way, I've never seen an organization run through more money, go totally broke. Nobody wants to run it and nobody wants their money back. What is that about? Now this organization comes out and has hang glider emblems uh, on their postings mocking the Israelis who suffered horrific loss. So that's what George is talking about over in Albany. Will they suffer? They should. I mean, who is going to write a check outside Al Sharpton and probably not even him to Black Lives Matter now? But to go out of their way after sullying their reputation by their actions since the George Floyd riot and now doing this, can you imagine BLM on the side of a court, BLM in the end zone? Or, or the shirts the MLS coaches were forced to wear? And now they post for the Palestinian, for the Hamas terrorists? David in New Jersey. Hey, David. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, you mentioned before about maybe this attack being a diversion or a way to lure Israel into something. Is, this poss- is it possible that it's a diversion from the Iran nuclear program? Uh, there were reports recently of them being close to breakout. And uh, maybe the Iranian-backed attack is to divert the world their potential breakout. If they only need days. But in the short term, uh, I think in the long term it's terrible. It's brought all this scrutiny and focus on Iran. And if you're Iran and you really want a nuclear weapon, you want us focus on Ukraine. I wouldn't even give them drones. I go, listen, let me finish this because I'm an evil regime and I'd like to hold the whole co- the whole world hostage. But now everyone's talking about Iran. You have everyone investigating Iran's role in this. You have an ambassador, Israeli ambassador, says we know Iran was part of this.
Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Brett Baer is also in studio. I said, Brett, wear a nicer suit than that. And he wear, he's wearing his best suit. <laughs> Martha McCallum at the bottom of the hour. They do not get along. I don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> they did. We were forced to work together almost for every major news event. Um, but you're going to put that aside for me? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to set it aside. So Brett is uh, pumped up. Uh, to the best he can, because we're in the middle of an ongoing war in the Middle East that could expand, uh, not only because he's anchor a special report and every day he's thankful, he also has a brand new book out this week, To Rescue the Constitution, and we're going to discuss that. But first, let's outline what's on this show. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Look, there are a number of members who uh, want me to become speaker again. Uh, what, what I've asked them is not to nominate me. They're going to do nominations um, t- tonight or tomorrow. Man, but has he showed his confidence with his, with his exit interview, kind of, but kind of exit press conference, and then what he did at 11 o'clock Eastern Time a.m. on Monday, just announcing how, uh, making it clear how ready he was for this position, but for some reason, eight people went out over 210. Number two. I've seen some of those statements this weekend, uh, and we're going to continue to be very clear. We believe they're wrong. Uh, we believe they're repugnant, and we believe they're disgraceful. There are not two sides here. There are not two sides. Noted and disturbing. The anti-Israel, anti-American protests in America are popping up in universities, cities, and our nation's capital. We are a nation of free speech, yes, but we will reveal who they are and what they have to say by the way they handle this clash. Number one. You know, there are moments in this life, literally, when the pure, unadulterated evil is unleashed. A group whose stated purpose for being is to kill Jews. This is an act of sheer evil. Going for Gaza, bracing for the unknown in what could be the most brutal urban fighting the world has seen. We're going to bring you the war in real time and the latest on the on the 20 missing Americans, or as many Brett missing Americans. Great to officially see you. Do we have a number on how many we believe are being alive and held against their will? We don't. Um, they gave us 20 as an approximate number, but it's it's more than 20, we're told. Um, but we don't know how many are missing and how many are actually being held hostage. You know, that is the most dangerous part about what's happening here and what will happen. Because going, as you know, street to street, building to building in a place like Gaza that has underground tunnels and booby traps and forces that are hidden all kinds of places ready for this moment. Uh, they put the hostages as human shields in different places. And that will be the kind of fighting that I don't think we've seen really ever. So they plan uh, they plan the invasion on Saturday. You have to know there's going to be an answer. And you have to know they know they're from Gaza. They took people in to say, come get me in Gaza. As Dave Ignatius writes this week, be ready for the things you're not ready for. They are planning for them to come in. There's going to be all types of traps, going to pull all types of IEDs and deception. And they did not want to go in in years past. Nobody wanted to go in. But this is going to be different. I saw the number of 450 uh, targeted attacks already from the air. Uh, That's as of today. Yeah. And they're trying to lay the groundwork uh, before forces go in and fight the, the fight that we're talking about. 
But let's hypothetical here. You don't want to think this, but you have to think it because it could happen. Let's say they march out hostages um, and they put them on camera. And among those are Americans in the streets of Gaza. You know, what will our response be? And what will the U.S. do? I think those are really tough questions that will happen in the days ahead. So they got the brother of the mastermind, they believe, this guy, Mohammed Deef, or Def. Uh, he, that's, he had a different name, Al Masri, uh, for a while. He's got missing an arm and missing a leg. He's in a wheelchair. But he evidently is being hailed as the next bin Laden or better or bigger because he masterminded this. And he's got direct links to Iran. NBC reporting what the Washington Post did report with the Wall Street Journal uh, revealed over the weekend that Iran is directly linked to this. NBC trying to find out. The administration says they're trying to find out the same thing. But all logic says at the very least they finance 70 percent of the organization. I mean, there's a reason to clamp down on Iran already, isn't there? I don't understand some of the responses by the administration. I don't understand why they say there's no link to this. They make the point that there's no link to this particular attack. But in 93 percent of the funding from Hezbollah and Hamas comes directly from Iran. Yeah, that's there's no doubt about that. So, you know, if you want to tangentially bank shot it to this attack, fine. But that's what they're hanging their hat on about the no connection that they see yet. It's sort of like the battle over the six billion dollars. Why do they keep coming back to you know, defending the money and not a dollar has been moved from this account. Okay, set it aside. Just you have to realize that tens of billions of dollars of Iran oil that's been sold to China is sloshing around and Iran is using it to fund terrorist groups. So what do you think? uh, Do you think right now the government's been hurt by having no speaker uh, through this time of peril? Yeah, I I think the Funding is flowing to Israel already. I do think that over time, if it dragged out, uh, it would be a problem. But right now, if they get their acting gear and get a speaker this week, um, it, it, they won't miss a, a beat. Um, what have you heard so far? Odds on is is Jordan, um, if especially if McCarthy throws his weight around. But McCarthy is kind of hanging in the wings. Uh, and... You know, if they can't get a vote, I wouldn't be surprised his name floats back up. What's so interesting is when Nancy Pelosi was no longer speaker, she kind of disappeared for a while. Uh, now she uh, doesn't really do much. But McCarthy, I was surprised that he popped up on two interviews over the weekend and then held his press conference on Monday and then did Guy Benson's radio show, too. So I think he realizes, you know, I didn't really get voted out. I mean, 210 people thought I was doing a pretty good job. 96% of the caucus. And I kept the government open. This would have been horrendous should there have been an attack in Israel. And the more I think about it, just you, this is one of those times I go, what just happened? Uh, and then I feel as though he almost regrets saying that he didn't want to run. But it is really one person's idea and seven people said, well, if you're going to do it, I'm going to follow. And then the one that I still can't get my head around is Nancy Mace. Because yeah. Nancy Mace does not like Matt Gates, says he's a fraud. He doesn't tell the truth. So why are you doing a podcast with Steve Bannon? Yeah, it's really interesting, and I, I think she's going for the attention play and um, stirring the pot. But listen, that's past. But I agree with you that Kevin McCarthy may be saying, you know, it's not over yet. And also the thing with me, I'm not in his job placement program. But if should a Republican win? I mean, he belongs. I mean, this guy could be a contender for Secretary of State, National Security Advisor. He's got that kind of. I did not know he's had this international 
passion for international relations. You know, a lot of the guys, you know, only focus on here. You don't look at John Boehner and think, well, that's the guy I want uh, motivating NATO. I mean, but I looked at Kevin McCarthy. He's got a real passion for what's going on overseas. His defense of Ukraine was better than anything I heard from the White House. Yeah. And his connections to Israel and direct contact with Israeli officials is, you know, extensive. So, so and that's what he talked about. And I think that played well for him. So, you know, it's so interesting. Two weeks ago, I watched the New York City Council have a meeting and they say, we're going to decide soon in a vote. We're going to do what Washington, what the George Washington statues and some other Revolutionary War generals who had slaves. We might be taking them down. And Suffolk County, New York, uh, Long Island said, yeah, I'll take them. And I'm thinking to myself, this is perfect for you. You go to rescue the Constitution. You talk about Washington, wins a war, wants to retire. It's, it's 1783. And then he realizes the Articles of Confederation uh, are not working. It's not unifying these 13 colonies. It's not making them into one country. Everyone's got a different vision and it's up to Madison to wrangle that vision with Alexander Hamilton and try to get everyone together and see if we can keep this country together. And that's really where your your book takes off. Yeah, it's basically the same structure as these other books. And I know you, you have a long history of books as well. Um, but it's the soda straw moment and then bouncing to see how that leader gets there. And that soda straw moment, moment is the conven- the Constitutional Convention. Um, And you're right. Right after the Revolutionary War, it's a mess. I mean, there are a lot of colonies fighting with each other. They're battling on different things. There are it comes to the point where people say, you know what, maybe it's better to go back to British rule. Uh, And that is the environment in which they send out the red alarm uh, to get George Washington to come back from Mount Vernon, uh, where he wants to be with Martha and. Uh, be the head of the Constitutional Convention and try to hold people together. So what turned you to this story? I know Mount Vernon is so close to Washington. You hear the stories all the time. You probably visit there yeah, a bunch of times. times. So what really turned you on to this story? You thought, I got to let people know it wasn't you win the war. Welcome, President Washington. Yeah, I just thought that after going back to Ulysses S. Grant the last time and kind of uncovering some of that and how he kept the country together in the 1876 crisis and from preventing it from going back into a second civil war, that there was another moment where we almost didn't form a nation that just gets overlooked and how crucial George Washington was to that process. I talked about this with you the other day, that there was no blueprint. You know, there was no note in the desk for him. There was no torch pass. He was the torch. And uh, if you look at him without him, you wonder whether we would be under British rule today. And also without him, there was not like, well, we'll go with the other guy. There was only one guy who was a general that wasn't in the camp of Jefferson or wasn't in the camp of Madison or wasn't in the camp of Adams. He was the guy. And it's so interesting that if you read and do the type of work you did, you know, Washington was always a little self-conscious about the fact that he didn't have this great education. Yeah. And he's around these great intellects who had this unbelievable uh, education. And that separated him in the long run a good way. It, he wasn't a grandstander ever. He always went in very humble saying, listen, I'm not the best probably for this. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm up to the task here. He started everything with that kind of premise, but it almost gave it a a bigger gravitas in the moment. And he didn't say a lot. He was pretty silent and somber. He wanted other people to make their dissenting arguments. But then he weighed in on big things towards the end. And um, every time he was called, he served. 
All right, Brett's going to stick around, uh, but we'll talk a little bit more about the book as, as well as the breaking news. Every time I look up, Brett, I don't know about you, you see another plume of smoke. It's I mean, and it's amazing, too. Every time I look up, it looks like Gaza looks denser. That's how tough this is going to be. You thought they say Fallujah uh, was easier, light years easier than this is going to be. And you have now 300,000, 600,000 total, 300,000 called up. Uh, tens of thousands on the Gaza border. Man, things are going to get crazy. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What are your feelings about the attacks against Gaza right now? How can I must the government... Say, uh, look, you, you're looking for, for a symmetrical situation, and I must say, it isn't. Um, if you were dealing with a, a war who is between two countries, countries don't take children hostages, I'm sorry. It's against the laws of war. It's against humanity. It's against anything that we all believe in. Every time we had missiles uh, shot at us, I used to say to my children that they should be sympathetic towards the children of Gaza because they suffer a lot more than they do. I'm not sure I still believe in it now. And that is the Israeli mom, an Israeli mom of a kidnapped child uh, was trying to get Andrea Mitchell's question and trying to get her, I guess, to say how much how bad she feels about the people in, in Gaza. And she just not up to it. Uh, who would be? Uh, Martha McCallum has come in. Brett Baer is here. His book is now uh, out this week. Uh, the book is called To Rescue the Constitution. Uh, of course, Brett's going to be doing his show, and you just fresh off two other hours. Uh, Martha, and I'm doing the five. And you're doing the five. It's going to be tough, but you could lean on four other people. Yeah. I'm doing Jesse tonight for eight hours. Are you really? Yeah. Wow. So are you going to do that show? But you always do like seven shows a day, don't you? Yeah, he does. Well, I'm just, I was just trying to make small talk. I didn't think it was going to turn into a little bit of a reaction. Position. I know it was going to blow up in my face. You always do eight shows, <laughs> yeah. Brian. Oh, excuse me. I just thought we would have something in common. Uh, Martha, I mean, it's amazing. You do have people who are trying to say, well, we don't support the attack, but, you know, Israel has really had it coming. You get a lot of that. You get that at Harvard, some sections, Cornell Graduate School, Long Beach State. is coming out with some statements. We know about some members of the squad. I'm am- I'm amazed by if you look at any of the horror that we've seen over the last 72 hours and we're still discovering it to even have this line of questioning. Are you surprised by it? You know, I think in a way it harkens back to the division, the political division that we have in this country and the political division that you see in, in Israel. Right. There's a lot of pushback against Netanyahu. He's now in his sixth term as prime minister. And I think in this country uh, there has been an effort to sort of move sentiment towards the Palestinians as a political matter in a lot of ways. So you see the needle moving in Gallup polls where you've got 49% for Palestinian, for the Palestinian cause and 38% for Israel. This is a complete change in sentiment. And I think we're seeing it play out now in terms of this story. And it, and it is putting people in a very difficult position. You see Rashida Tlaib being hounded, chased down by our intrepid reporter, um, Hillary Vaughn, who's just asking her, you know, what what do you say about what the, the carnage of, of babies? How hard is it to say that Hamas 
is a brutal, brutal terrorist organization. And, you know, you can separate that from the Palestinian people, but the Palestinian people voted for Hamas in 2005, and they are the leadership of of the Palestinian people right now. Hey, guys, listen, you can't have this moral equivalence. You just can't. When you look at this on the ground, you just spent two hours talking to these families that had babies killed, had, had family members ripped from them. Now, when you have a death toll count and it's on the bottom of the screen and it says Israelis, Palestinians, Americans, and you're saying essentially that it's all the same, it's not all the same. And we have to acknowledge that. And you have to say it's different. They're killing kids and civilians. This isn't military on military. And I don't know. I think it's important for us to, to see the depravity, but it's also important to say there isn't a moral equivalence. Uh, I, I just saw that uh, the leader of the Anti-Defamation League was on MSNBC. Mm. And do we have that, Eric? Yeah, well, we're going to pull it up. I, I'm amazed because this is not a Democrat or Republican thing. I never thought anyway. And the other thing is with us, when you see uh, what's going to be happening over the next few weeks, and I'm thinking if people are equivocating now, can you imagine when images come out of Gaza and if you're bombing 450 times today and then you know what it's going to be like tomorrow and then when they actually go in, there's going to be there's going to be collateral damage. Absolutely. So no, there is. I, and I think this political then, then debate, it's, it's going to continue to heat up. And, and it puts, as I said, it puts Democrats and, and those who are supporting Palestine over Israel in an increasingly difficult situation to to justify that in the face of what we're seeing in the face of these children and families being slaughtered it puts them in a very very difficult and it also divides i think it it creates a wedge um in the Demo- uh, among democrats absolutely the music's going to come in but they have to be pushed all the way out of the country now it's not a matter of pushing them back suppressing them uh, blowing up a few tunnels so they're not going to stop and almost every military expert says what weeks months it's going to be a long, long time. I mean, the Israelis are blunt about it. Hang on. And, and this is a huge fighting force they put together. And they all know how to fight. And they told the population, get a gun and a helmet. Yeah. That's interesting. And they're providing them. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I love this show. And I love this network. But I've got to ask, who's writing the scripts? Hamas? The people who did this, they are not fighters, Jonathan. They are not militants. And I'm looking right at the camera. They are terrorists. It is a barbarian who rapes and brutalizes women, who tear, kills children in front of their parents, and then brings them over to Gaza who literally, we've heard all these reports, and we know these aren't just reports. These were filmed gleefully by the barbarians who committed these grotesque crimes. So that's the head of the Anti-Defamation League on a place he's feel he's way to the left. He, he feels very comfortable, but he can't believe that uh, MSNBC is splitting the difference. Well, I could see Hamas's point. Babies do need to be decapitated as opposed to Israel's. We'd like to live in peace. Brett Baer is here, Martha McCallum here. We're pri- I'm privileged to have them. And especially, Martha, I know you're pumped up that uh, Brett's book is out. Uh, the war we didn't plan on, but his book was planned, and it's fantastic. It's called To Rescue the Constitution, uh, and it is just chronicles what happened in 1783 to 1789. You weren't yet in control of our political wing of our party. 
uh, you weren't doing the b- debates at that point in 1783, <laughs> right? Is that true? You guys were not together? Yeah, that, that's a fact. But by 1789, you were eligible. But you actually <laughs> didn't get this whole thing until what year did you become like, head, co-head of the political unit? Mm, early 1800s. Early 1800s? <laughs> yeah. All right. Why was that not in your book? Right. Should have been there. Right? Should have been there. Right. Damn editor. Maybe you, you have a shot at the paperback yeah, yeah, when it I comes can, out. I can alter it. Right. Um, but what he just said, he was astounded. This guy, this guy was astounded. He's like, why are we even debating this? Are you kidding? Who's writing the scripts? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's really something. And I've heard that from others, you know, who've either been on the shows or uh, have watched them. And there's just a frustration, you know, that we talked about, about moral equivalence. I, I, listen, to your point earlier, it's only going to get more and tougher and bigger as these images of this, this offensive uh, start coming out. It's it's just going to be it's going to be tough for the the Biden administration. Uh, it's going to be tough for countries in the region. You know, Saudi Arabia obviously is was trying to get a normalization deal with Israel. I think all sides thought it was really close, and that could be one of the reasons that that this has happened when it happened. Yeah, and Martha, I just say you know when the, I already saw some image in Gaza. I mean, they're blowing up buildings. Obviously, people are going to get caught in the crossfire. But I was also struck by Dave Ignatius wrote a column, another one in the New York Times, that if you thought that this was well-planned, and it was, the Hamas invasion, the blowing up, the bulldozers, the paragliders with dune buggies, the timing, uh, while everybody was, their, their hands, their, their guard was down, the rave was happening, technology was not being used during this holiday, and then the fact that there was so much civil unrest for the first time in a long time, there was so many uh, resources up by the West Bank Regardless, it happened. Don't you think there's something waiting for the Israelis that they weren't expecting because the invasion is expected for this? And if you're a military commander, you're you're on overdrive trying to figure it out. Is it just IEDs? Is there something else? You mean the fact that we haven't seen them go in yet? Right. Yeah, I, I, I've been asking that question as well. Five days later, we've been hearing that the ground invasion is imminent. We know that the tanks are lined up and ready to go. As Trey Ying said yesterday, the lights are on and they are ready to go, but they have not gone in yet. I can only imagine it's complicated by at least 100 hostages that are being held there. And there was even a suggestion of, you know, of not necessarily going in with this ground invasion by one official that I heard yesterday. That was today, IDF. I talked to somebody this morning. He goes, we're not saying we're invading. I'm like, wow. What do you make of that? I think they are mature enough to know what they don't know. I mean, if anyone knows mm-hmm. military, have been battle-weary, uh, is is the Israelis. They have all this uh, all this conventional experience. They also were burned in, uh, in Lebanon. I know that they didn't go too far in Gaza, and they pulled right back out in the past. So I think they're thinking it through. But I've never seen a force, 300,000 people, let's say there's 20,000 at the border right now, you're not going in. I think when we went into Iraq the second time, didn't, how many did we have? I don't even think we had 100,000, did yeah, we? Yeah, just shy of it. Just, but, you know, listen, they also have to be looking at the fact that there was an intelligence failure not predicting this attack. And they need really good intelligence to know what the attack on the inside looks like, to your point. So there could be some digesting about what the heck just happened. You know, why did we miss this uh, as they're getting ready to fight the fight on the inside? I, I do think that it's I think it's going to happen. I think they're going to go in. I think that the biggest decision will be, you know, the hostages and the difference between trying to rescue them and trying to take out Hamas. 
Do you say Moab? Remember the mothers of all bombs that Trump mm-hmm. dropped? I mean, do you do that? That blunt, that ham-handed, and drop that in the middle? Listen, you don't understand. Gaza's not going to exist yeah. like this anymore. You know, it's, Can it's, you do that? Well, I, I think you have to have a pretty good handle on where these hostages are. And remember, um, there was a, you know several years back an Israeli soldier who they could not retrieve from Gaza, didn't know where he was. They were moving him around all the time. It's extraordinarily tricky, and I think they want to figure out the best way to handle this and have the fewest loss of hostages that is that is possible you know i mean it's it's an interesting equation that they're looking at and when they say that they want to eliminate hamas's ability militarily and govern in terms of governing right they want hamas to be erased from Mm -hmm. this equation that's not what president biden said yesterday right so here we are again i keep thinking about ukraine And the feelings in the country about Ukraine versus the feelings of what's going on in Israel, because we are now we have a president who is overseeing an intense involvement on two fronts, one in Europe and one in the Middle East, where we are the primary partner in both of these situations. So I, I think, you know, you have to ask yourself, what is the goal? We're still waiting for the administration, I think, to outline what they think the goal is in Ukraine. Right. As long as it takes. Well, that's tough. Right. That what does that even mean? You know, it's a trickle of weaponry that is we say no to all the time and then eventually we say yes what is the goal in ukraine so what is the goal here in israel as well and the president really said almost nothing yesterday in that speech there were some very emotional flourishes and and i think rightly placed sentiment for the people who have lost in such brutal ways these family members but he stopped short of saying you know hamas must be gone must be eradicated from Mm -hmm. the palestinian territory and they're not going to govern and they're not going to have any military strength when when israel's done and we backed that he didn't say that yesterday you know it's uh john kennedy brought this up the senator from uh louisiana he says we got to stop we have to deny iran access to the uh International Monetary Fund. He said Iran gained access to $4.5 billion through the IMF deal, and China had a windfall of $40 billion. Why we're allowing that? The bulk of the $650 billion general allocation on dictators in countries that didn't need, uh, need the aid by making the special allocation for the poorest nations. And again, these pages pointed out that Biden's objection to a, uh, a tailored approach to what would be required to submit to Congress. So he's saying we got to deny them money in every way is possible. And this administration has looked the other way, not enforcing sanctions, even though Admiral Kirby pushed back on that. Uh, you interviewed him a couple of times and he pushed back. Goes, oh, we're in for- No, with you. He pushed back saying and with the oil sanctions. Yeah, we're not enforcing oil sanctions. You go, yeah. Wait a second. What did you hit him with? Well, just look at the numbers or Iran oil exports to China. Uh, Six billion dollars in 2019. Um was Something 30? like thirteen billion in twenty twenty, twenty one billion in twenty twenty uh twenty twenty one, thirty billion in twenty twenty two. So if you're enforcing sanctions, mm-hmm. wait, how are they getting this money out and sold? And and Kirby basically had an answer like there's a supply and demand in the oil market. He didn't have an answer. And you can't say that you're enforcing sanctions and all this money's flooding in. Forget the shiny thing of the $6 billion and the American hostages and not a single dinar out of that fund. Forget all of that. Look at the other stuff, the million, billions and billions of dollars that is coming in. That's directly funneled 93% of the funding of Hamas and Hezbollah. All right. Uh, I want to uh, talk to you, Ken Martha, about what's going on in the House today. 
you believe that behind the closed doors they're going to decide who's got more votes and then one guy has got to give in and just say put it this way it's going to be close don't you think between Scalise and yeah. Jordan I mean and they're talking about re you know redoing the rules essentially and and one scenario would probably benefit Jordan a little bit the other scenario would probably benefit Scalise a bit there's some interesting backstory about how Scalise's folks are very unhappy that Kevin McCarthy allowed it to be even floated or discussed that they would want him back, that people wanted him back because they felt like that was going to eat into Scalise's support. So there's a lot of drama. I'm not sure that Americans uh, care that much about the internecine Republican warfare that's going on in the House. Um, And I do think that, you know, they understand that it's probably beneficial to them to get this ironed out sooner rather than later. Um, I think that, you know, it's really it's hard to say where the a couple of days ago I would have said it was leaning Jordan. But um, now I think it might be leaning Scalise. But what do you what do you think? I I mean, I think if McCarthy weighs in, it goes to Jordan because he has no love lost for Steve Scalise. But I do think that it's interesting that both candidates in their pitch, apparently behind the scenes, signed on to a continuing resolution to get through the fiscal year. Mm -hmm. Uh, In other words. A lot of the argument against McCarthy was that he was doing the CR, not doing each individual bill and putting it all together. Both of the candidates now say, you know what, we need to fund until the end of the fiscal year. I remember Jim Jordan, when he came out and McCarthy got ousted, he looked like he was almost crying. I mean, he was that – he just looked exhausted or he was actually teary-eyed. Jordan was working behind the scenes on something that would be amenable – to sign over the weekend, they end up having to do a deal with Democrats to get it through. So him and, and his other uh, Congressman Perry, two big critics, he's like, mm-hmm. Scott Perry, he's like, hey, guys, work this out. They were working it out. It's like, what's the problem? And they go, we can't get the votes on it. So they do a deal to keep the government open, which I think was smart. We'll do a continuing resolution. No Ukraine money, which is crazy that Republicans don't want it. No Ukraine money. And we'll move forward. OK, we're going to move forward. The appropriations bills they were working on, they were telling me, and you guys have better sources, that they were, couldn't get the Republicans to agree on the individual appropriations bills, not to do it. Mm-hmm. They couldn't agree on the contents in it, let alone getting a Democratic vote here or there. So they were fighting within each other with committees debate back and forth. They don't all agree, I don't think. Um, so that's what was happening. They just weren't done in time. Now, could he have brought everyone back August 1st and made a big deal of it and said, guys, I want you in the building? But in this age of Zoom and multi-communication, is it worth it to destroy everybody's family vacation after they haven't been on vacation for two years? Well, A, I think that, you know, it's imperative that people show up for work when they have something really serious going on. And maybe they should have all done that. Right. But what's interesting is that, you know, some of the people who voted against McCarthy say that, you know, the the reason that all of these things hang in the balance until the very last hour is so that people can shuttle in all of this special interest stuff that they don't want anyone to know they're packing into these deals. And they all get all of this money from these different special interest groups, and they want it to go under the radar. And they hold, 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 and then they jam it all through. It is a ridiculously unfunctioning process, and they should be able to break these deals down and vote on them one at a time. And I think a lot of people in the country are sympathetic to that argument that some of these outliers, um, you know, that that, that these eight supported because they they are sick and tired of the way that this all functions, and they know that no company in America could run that way. Yeah, the Christmas tree hanging ornaments last second, you know, the post office that you want, the whatever that you want, and it just hangs on there and suddenly gets through because it's a giant... Or pharmaceuticals or defense or... Or NRA or all those, you know, well, those big I, money folks as well. Am I well. naive to think that they were actually heading that way, though? 
They go, we got four done, six done. Do you think in November they would have not been done yet and they were going to do this and that Gates was right? It wasn't going to get done and it was all potting and planning? I, mean, I thought they were en to getting it done. 70%. Yeah. So uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about rescuing the Constitution. I know, Martha, you were, you're, not, you're not for it. Well, you were very anti-Washington growing up, right? Is that true? <laughs> Anti-George <laughs> Washington? Yes. Who can be anti-George Washington, especially when uh, your name is Martha? I'm going to put that's true. Uh, Allison wrote that on a card. Don't bring up Washington. To, that is so wrong. I'm going to have to start interviewing. Back in a moment. Uh, Brett's book is now out today. Of course, we're in the middle of a war that's tough, but you got to pick it up. And by the way, the best color scheme in the history of color schemes for coverage is to rescue the Constitution. It's fiery Biden-like red. Back in a moment. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmead coming up. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we're watching right now. It is nighttime in Gaza City, and we're keeping you up to date. You see some explosions in the background, and we'll continue to watch uh, the Israelis gear up and try to find out where Hamas is thinking as they run for their lives or hide for their lives. And we try to uncover the hostages, 20 of 20 or missed, 20 missing Americans, and Brett Baer and Martha McCallum here. Brett just says that number is higher. Uh, Brett, this week is to rescue the Constitution. I think it's always good, and Martha, you agree, to talk about the foundation of this country and the Constitution, which we seem to be debating because we seem to have a great time upsetting all our norms today. You turn me on to the Compromise of 1876-1877 when our country almost fell apart. But what they cut, the deal they cut, screwed us up for the next 60 years. Separate but equal, Jim Crow in the South. That's why I came up with Teddy and Booker T, who helped bring us forward. We had the 1960s, but if Lincoln lives through the 1860s, we might not need the 1960s. But then you picked it up. uh, You went backwards in time this time. And what did you discover when you started researching? First of all, there's just a lot that I didn't know. The narratives of these characters, um, some of the diaries and what they wrote about. And you've been through this process. You come across these nuggets that then you piece together in sort of a quilt that makes a narrative of our real history. And so what I'm always trying to do is find a really right um narrative way to talk about history and in a way that people can read it on a beach and get through it and not be overwhelmed by it. I, listen, I had, I had a great education comparing to other people when they tell me, but they never really talk about that gap from 1783 to 1789. They didn't focus on the, Const- uh, the, the Constitutional Convention. They didn't talk about how perilous it was and what they had to do with the Federalist Papers. Maybe they just knew I couldn't handle it. But Martha, <laughs> did you learn about that? I mean, did you have that... Unless you were a history no, I think major. You, unfortunately, in this country, I think you have to go back and learn things after you're done with school. <laughs> and uh, they're not getting that's it. They're sad, just not right? getting it. I mean, when you think about it, I hear some of the candidates talking about this. We, we should we are not educating no. high school students or college students for that matter. Nobody should be able to graduate from high school or college without a basic understanding of the formation of the country, the struggles that came after the revolution. Um, I think, you know, there's obviously people graduate with a, a sense of the history of the revolution, but what happened after that? Right. And you think about the civil war and what happened after that. Those are the periods that get really interesting with which both of you have covered in your books that talk about how difficult the process is of building a country or of rebuilding a country after slavery ended after the civil 
Civil War. So, um, you know, I think you guys are, are both doing great work. In, and I hope that I, I wish it was all required reading in our high schools and colleges so that we wouldn't all have to learn it after we graduate. Right. And, of course, World War II is, seems to be your area. You were the mm-hmm. only one I know. You actually went to Iwo Jima, right? I did. I did. And you know what? Um, I've learned so much about that part of history since um, since digging in, which is to me one of the best parts of writing a book. And, you know, Brett knows that well from from digging into all these topics in your new book as well. Right. Because you can meet the people. Yeah. Uh, and the, what, what I love, too, is you could walk the path. You can go to Madison's house. Yeah. You can go to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. You could go you can go into go Long Island to see the spies and Mount Vernon. Unbelievable. What a great right? place. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I loved it. When the government shut down, they tried to shut down Mount Vernon. Yeah. What happened? No, it's privately funded. And they <laughs> Pick said, up the codes, nope, baby. It's, <laughs> we're still open. I wide love, open. So I love that. It's the ladies of Mount Vernon. And they are so cooperative. Their library is fantastic, right? Yeah, they're really good. Uh, pick up Brett's book. It is fantastic. To Rescue the Constitution, George Washington, and the Fragile American Experiment. Brett, thanks. Thank you. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.